All right, Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. So for the audience, uh, Kyle is a church planner. Um, he started a church in uh, Utah and Salt Lake City. Uh, how long ago mm -hmm. was that? That was 2000, end of 2009, beginning of 2010. Okay. Um, and so yeah. did that for a while. That's how my family got to know Kyle. Um, and he's now working on starting a church um, out in Ojai. Um, so Kyle, I'll just give you the opportunity to kind of introduce yourself um, and kind of describe what you do. Sure. Uh, well, my, my, uh, my family kind of goes like this. I've been married to Joy for 22 years. We got, had our anniversary last week. Uh, oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Two boys, Isaiah and Malachi, um, and they are 10 and 6, and they love all things baseball and golf, and so that's, <laughs> they just finished baseball, and now it's golf 24-7, it feels like, so it's awesome. fun stuff. Yeah, and uh, I've been pastoring now since 2005 uh, is when I first started on staff at a church. Um, it's something that I never, uh, never had in my wildest dreams thought that this is what I would be doing. Um, I can tell a little bit about my story to, to help you understand. I grew up in uh, Utah as a sixth generation Mormon. And so my family um, came to Utah in, 1850, in the 1850s, 1853. They were converted uh, Mormon mission trips into Europe. And they, they came around, they landed in New Orleans, and then they pushed a handcart from New Orleans to Utah. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. And so I did not grow up with Christianity on my mind, with the church on my mind, because I lived in Utah. When you live in Utah, it's all Mormonism. And this is before the internet. Uh, and so I always say, it's like going to a, you know, it's like going to a Dodger game at Dodger stadium. Like you don't think about other teams. Like it wasn't like, I wondered like, huh, I wonder what that team, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And so it wasn't until, man, I, I had, uh, I left the Mormon faith when I was 18. I came to Christ when I was 23. And it was about five years later, well, four years later, when I first started thinking, man, maybe maybe ministry was the path for me. Yeah, cool. I, I am super interested in the transition from the Mormon upbringing to, um, you know, becoming a, a Christian and also a Christian pastor and church planner. So yeah, I'd be curious. I know that... Um, meeting joy and becoming a Christian, those two things mm -hmm. kind of come hand in hand for you. Um, yeah. So talk to me about what that transition was like, um, kind of what was going through your head um, as you kind of uh, converted out of the uh, Mormon church. Yeah. So I, they aren't, they're a little, there's a little bit of time there. So yeah. like when I was my, in my freshman year of college, I was 17. Otherwise, I would have went on a Mormon mission right away. And so I kind of was young in my class always. I went to college at 17. And my plan mm. was, was to spend that year preparing to go on a Mormon mission. And so what I did is I had this roommate that I was paired up with in the dorms. And he was a theater major. And he was like, he had never really heard much about Mormonism. But he was like, hey, like, this will help me. Like, what if I, what if I like pretend I'm the East Coast liberal or the Southern Evangelical <laughs> and you try to convert me to Mormonism. And so we would get in pretty deep theological conversations about mm -hmm. Mormonism specifically. He wasn't, he wouldn't have labeled himself anything. Um, and uh, what it did for me was push me into areas that I hadn't naturally pushed myself. And as I went into those areas, it, it um, man, I was left wanting. <laughs> Hmm. So much so that um, by the Christmas by the Christmas season of my freshman year, I asked to have my name removed from the rolls of the faith, oh, okay. um, which which was which was a huge deal. Um, I was the oldest of seven, so as the oldest son, like there was a lot of like truly just spoken expectation. I was going to say unspoken, but no, like spoken expectation yeah. on like how you were supposed to step into that role. Uh, but once it kind of showed itself to be false, um, man, I left it and, and didn't look back. And it was about two years later that I met Joy. So you, you mentioned this. And I would say Joy was probably the first person that I ever knew who was, an, who was a Christian and just like open in the way they said it and practiced it. Uh -huh. 
And the way, the way I found out was we were all at dinner one night, you know, you're in college, you have your group of guy friends and group of girlfriends. And in Las Vegas, that's where I went to school at UNLV. We would go to casinos because they were cheap, not like the strip casinos, but like you'd go get a buffet for like four bucks. And um, right. we were all eating and then we're going home and we're getting ready to go home. And she says like, hey, I, I, uh, I got to go home early. I got to get up work to work in the morning. And so I'll just be honest. Like I lied because I liked her and I wanted to like talk with her. And I was like, I, I do too. Can you give me a ride home? And, uh, mm. and so we're walking towards her car and I see on her car, like the, the Jesus fish. And yeah. I had liked her for a long time and she wouldn't pay any attention to me. And so finally I'm like stoked because I'm walking with her and we're talking and then I see the fish and I'm like, Oh man, I'm super bummed out. Cause I was like, I was pretty yeah. jaded on religion and faith and anything. Of course. But I'm also pretty, pretty optimistic. So I'm like, maybe it's a used car, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but, but we get in there and I ask her about it. And for the first time, someone shares like the Christian message with me, like the Christian gospel with me. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I'll be honest, like at first I was like, okay, that doesn't sound crazy like i'd come from mormonism where they believe some really interesting things and so i wasn't yeah. like you know taken aback by it and she was really cute and so i was just like okay i'll, I'll hang in like we'll see what this is about you know um but I, I started going to church with her and about the third time i went to the church uh, the pastor was preaching and this church was growing like crazy. And so they were putting chairs where I'm sure like fire marshals were not cool with them putting chairs. Right. <laughs> and it just, to be honest, it fed into my cynicism about religion. I'd been hurt and my, I felt was betrayed by Mormonism. And I was like, oh, this is just something it's different, but it's not. Um, that was just what I said and what I thought. Right. But then this pastor gets up and he starts giving a message and he's listing all of these negative personal traits. He's like, like he's like got a really bad temper, like can be selfish, like, and I'm thinking he's going to say, this is like the non-Christian. This is the person who, um, you know, doesn't know God. And instead he says, this is me. <laughs> like mm. the, the pastor says that and he's like, without Jesus, like, this is who I am. And, uh, he goes, and on my, on my worst days, my family will tell you, like, it's really easy for me to dip into these areas. And that yeah. jacked with me pretty bad um, because my whole life I had been taught to put faith in men. If you know anything about Mormonism, you know that you swear an allegiance to the prophet. You actually stand up and you bear your testimony that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God that founded Mormonism and Brigham Young. And, um, and then when I left the faith, I remember when I was in a, a conversation with my grandfather, who was the bishop at the time, he said, what gives you the right to question your dad and me, your great grandfather and your great, great grandfather. So mm. your whole life, you're thought of, you're taught to like put this faith in, in men. And now this right. Christian pastor is like, dude, if you, if you're here to put your faith in me, like this is who I am. And yeah. he lists all of his negative traits. And then he, he pivots and moves to a conversation about Jesus and really just an Ephesians two gospel message. And, um, and that was the first time I started to take it seriously. <laughs> that was the yeah. first time I was like, this is different, but man, I'm stubborn. And so for the next two years, I would go to any class I could read any book I could really what I think I was doing as I was trying to disprove it. Um, mm. so much so to the point where the pastor at the end of it, he's like, this is a large church. He's like, Kyle, we just don't have any more classes for you, man. Like, <laughs> like you know everything you need to know. It just depends yeah. <laughs> on who, who and what you're going to trust. And so I know that's a long answer to your question, but that is how the transition kind of came. It was about a two-year stint between Mormonism and being introduced to Christianity. And then it was a whole nother two and a half, three years before I would have said, um, I gave my life to Christ. Right. So I want to point out uh, a couple things. Uh, yeah. One is I think the the idea that uh, the, um, Christianity stands out because you're not putting your faith in uh, in people in in man, and actually the fact that uh, it obviously points out that you shouldn't do that <laughs> that that was a selling yeah. point. Um, yeah. So I think that's a powerful message for sure. Um, but then also. Um, like I, 
I want to notice the role that the conversation with the college roommate played that even though he wasn't um, uh, a believer or anything, just having like good faith conversation that that allowed you to kind of see things in a new way. Um, yeah. So I think that that's also a pretty um, powerful, like little nugget, just that, um, you know, that can be a, a, a really powerful thing is those small conversations. Um, one question I have is like, how did your leaving Mormonism affect like relationships that you had? Um, was it kind of like you got cut off or was it, were you able to maintain those relationships? What was that like? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was hard, you know, I think anytime you, you grow up and you leave the house. So it was happening my freshman year of college. That's right when there's this like rite of passage. I'm an adult. You're, I'm not your little yeah. kid anymore. There's a, so there's that dynamic happening. Plus I'm leaving the faith. And so for a year and a half or so, it was a hard relationship. Whenever I would go home, whenever I would talk with my dad. But let me be clear. Like he, I was never, it was never threatened to be cut off. I was never like treated as a second class citizen. I was never yeah. like... I can, I've always been able to just walk in my dad's house, sit down and be as welcome as any of his sons or his daughters or, um, yeah, uh, there are stories in Mormonism where that's not the case where unfortunately that happens. Um, but I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to suffer that. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, okay. So now there's there's kind of the next stage right which is in between you give your life um to christ become a believer and oh wait i'm gonna actually like do this with all my time and energy and actually become a pastor um so walk me through that stage a little bit too sure sure so um so i come to faith and a year later i get married to joy like spoiler alert like (laughs) but uh (laughs) um and for us, like, um, we were now figuring out, like, how do we start a marriage, like, founded on Christ? Like, how do we start a mm. marriage where we take these steps forward um, on Jesus really without um, without a roadmap and without, uh, I would say, mentors, family members that could help us do that? Uh, and so what we did is we mm. just we joined a small group at our church. And that might seem like a small thing, but it it literally changed both of our lives. Um, Joy had grown up in a home that would absolutely identify as like a Christian home, but she, she suffered spiritual abuse, like things like it was, uh, it was pretty intense, like the picture of God that was painted there. Um, And so uh, her relationship with God was almost built outside of that. And so she was like, how do we figure this out? So we yeah. joined this small group and man, God and his goodness gave us amazing people who began to help us kind of chart that path. I mean, I was someone who I would go into the small group and we would get into conversations and discussions. This goes back to your point about good faith conversations about faith are really valuable when people yeah. show up and they're just willing to like dig in. Um, I would show up and I would go to the small group. We'd be talking about something and I would share a point or an idea. And thankfully I had this like really chill, wise, uh, small group leader who'd be like, Kyle, pretty sure that's in the book of Mormon, not the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> you just, cause I was, I was trying to defragment, you know, I had all of these like yeah. competing, um, ideas and thoughts in my mind. Like he was one with, with my wife that came and was like, Hey, I think it's time to be baptized. And I was like, no, I mean, I'm, I'm this, I'm grace. Like I did all the work stuff in my path was past. Like it's grace. Now I've been baptized over 300 times. Cause in Mormonism, you oh get baptized goodness. for dead people. I was like, I'm the Michael yeah. Jordan of baptism. I don't need to get baptized <laughs> again. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and thankfully like, his patience, Joy's patience, they help walk me through what it looks like to respond to God versus perform for God. And to be yeah. honest, like, it's still a daily thing that I have to work through. Like, that I have to be, the, the things I tell myself in my brain are often 
unfortunately, like based in that idea that I think I have to perform. Um, and so yeah. I don't want to pretend like somehow I've left it behind. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I've gotten better. I feel like I um, absolutely like embrace God's grace for me. But man, I, I feel like every day I'll catch myself in like a way of thinking or a mindset where I'm like, eh, I don't think that's really the way this right. goes. Uh, but so, um, so we're in that small group and they, that starts helping us kind of forge a marriage. Um, we, we start to both grow up in our faith. And then the church says, some, so we lived in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, um, if you go outside of Utah, Phoenix has the largest Mormon population, and it's kind of surprising that Las Vegas has the second largest. And so they asked me to teach a class um, to, to help equip people at the church to go and share their faith with their Mormon neighbor. Because okay. I was often loud in the critique. Like when I grew up, when I was growing up, if I met a Christian, and it was usually people who were like street evangelists, and, you know, they were just brutal in what they would yell at you or they give you a pamphlet and it would be like Jesus with fangs. And, and then to be honest, yeah. same thing in Mormonism, like they were just, there was no dialogue. It was just really brutal back and forth. And so I was like, I think we can do this well, where we equip our people to have good conversations. And so I started teaching a class and it just started to grow like every week, like almost exponentially. And that messed with my head at the time I was working for Ford Motor Company as a financial analyst and that was going great. But this was like what I was doing. This was more of a passion for me. And all of a sudden, like I was seeing massive fruit from it. And then the church said, hey, will you do a, a DVD series, like a six week DVD <laughs> series on it? Yeah. And I was like, OK, you know, um, <laughs> and then uh, at the same time, I, I started to feel like this desire to go to seminary, not necessarily ministry at first, but like seminary, because I kept thinking, I feel like I know more about Mormonism than I do my Christ my faith, my Christianity. Mm -hmm. I want to dig deep into that. And so one night I'm in my office at Ford and I'm plinking away on the keyboard and I just pull up the seminary that my small group leader had went to. And so I'm like, ah, I'm gonna go home and tell Joy, like, I, I think I'm supposed to go to seminary. And to be honest, part of me said, thought, I'm gonna tell her, so that she says to me, like, we can't do that. Like, we have a mortgage. Yeah. Because like, I would have had to quit my job and stuff like that. Right. And so I go home and we're in this house. We just bought this house. And uh, I tell her, I say, like, I think I'm supposed to go to seminary. And she says to me, um, yeah, God told me that a while ago. And uh, <laughs> he just told me to wait, wait for you, though. <laughs> uh, because, uh -huh. like, you won't listen if I just tell you. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those first moments where I was just like, are you kidding me? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I ended up quitting my job. I ended up um, uh, getting accepted at Fuller, Fuller Seminary. And um, at the same time, almost within a few weeks, the church asked me to come on staff as uh, basically like a six-month trial. Like, hey, we see this gifting in you. <clears throat> Why don't you come on staff? See if it fits for you. We'll see if it fits for us. And we'll go from there. And man, two weeks in, I didn't know anything. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But I yeah. felt like this is who I am. And it's been kind of never, haven't looked back since. Yeah. Um, I'm curious uh, what the, so like focusing in on another transition. So we focused on the Mormon to Christian transition. What about the yeah. like corporate world to like, church world what was that transition like oh man I, I still feel like that transition is in my brain all the time um okay <laughs> I, I what i it's is it's interesting like the corporate world is um you know it's you don't perform you're out like you don't hit your deadlines like and you're not worth anything to us like you don't right. there's no element of of uh, they're not worried about your journey as a, as a worker. <laughs> like if you don't perform, yeah. they're not like, well, let's talk about that, you know? Um, and then I'm also like, I'm a an en three on the Enneagram. So that fit well with me. Like, let's get things done. Let's accomplish mm -hmm. them. Let's, let's do whatever we need to do to keep like hitting our numbers. And so when I come into the church world, 
now granted i came into a church that was that was moving quickly like when i was there it, it's a massive mega church it moved from four thousand people to thirteen thousand people in three years and so it was always moving fast but there was also for me after coming out of the corporate world it definitely was a slow down and so i had yeah. to figure out I had to figure out and be trained, like, what is my worth now? Like, is in the corporate world, I knew my worth. It was producing dollars. It was hitting, right. it was hitting, it was hitting goals. It was making deadlines. In the church world, it's like, okay, how do I, how do I prove that I'm a, or show that I'm a, I'm a valuable pastor? And should I be mm -hmm. even doing that? Like, what, what am I, right. this isn't about self-promotion, you know? Um, and so to be honest, like books by Eugene Peterson, like I never got to meet the man, but his books on pastoring helped change me as, as a human in a lot of ways and to slow yeah. down and go like, yeah, actually, you know, this is an interesting work that is a long lifelong, that is a lifelong calling that um, you can't just put on a spreadsheet. And yes, you can use, I mean, I'm all about like goal setting goals and I'm all about like markers that we want to look for health and so i'm not against that at all but right. um but i i i had to i was challenged by taking my corporate mindset into the church world yeah how do you so you kind of talked about like the idea of you know earning um kind of i don't know what words you would want to use but earning god's love kind of in mormonism mm -hmm. And then there's this very, you know, um, cold uh, corporate sense of like, you need to earn your worth, earn your position. How do you think that those experiences shaped your teaching and pastoring style um, once you did start teaching? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is in a way I was first attracted to the the heart of christianity through that sermon i told you about through mm -hmm. vulnerability and so right. um to me that is that is uh, a huge part of how i pastor and how i um counsel or how i try to teach or lead is that um you you are always being as much as we're on mission we are the mission as right. much as we want to see people formed and shaped, we're being formed and shaped. And so in any, in any type of conversation, in any type of interaction, I do not feel like I show up as the doctor and that person is the patient. Like as much as I might have some gifting that God graciously gave me and some experience that he's allowed me to go through, like he's also, he's also forming me in that moment. Um, right. And so it's, it's just trying to consistently be present to that. And so for me, how I've tried to work on that is through spiritual disciplines that I don't like. So mm. we all like, there's spiritual disciplines, I feel like that you can talk to certain personalities and they're like, oh yeah, I dig that, I love that. Like I can get into that. But for me, Sabbath and solitude are two mm. spiritual disciplines that are, I mean, over the last 15 years, I've, I've created, a, I, I now know how valuable they are to me. Um, and so I, so I do pursue them and I do crave them, but I left to my own devices. They are brutal. Like yeah. I took a, I took a sabbatical. So we were in Salt Lake 10 years. I took a sabbatical seven years in and, um, it was one of the most challenged. I know that sound, this is going to sound absurd. Somebody gives you a three months, <laughs> three months off and it's going to sound like, oh, whoa, I'm really feel bad for you, dude. But I right. remember I knew it was coming at the end of April in January. And I, that was the closest I had come to like almost a bit of a breakdown, not planting the mm. church, not buying a building, not dealing with staff issues, not dealing with, you know, crazy stuff that comes up in a church, but but feeling like the way that I proved my worth was going to be a, taken away from me for three months mm. was um, it, it did. It almost caused me to have a bit of a breakdown. I mean, I ended up going through an awesome program where I worked specifically on that. I confessed it to the church in the run up. We talked through it. I made plans. So it was so awesome in the long run. Like I felt 
I right. felt like a different person on the other side of it. But, um, but practicing those spiritual disciplines that don't just come natural and aren't easy have been a huge marker for me in learning how to um, let him shape me in the midst of this. Yeah, that, that definitely stands out because I think, I mean, my experience at Biola was, you know, you're, you're very much in Christian culture. And so when specifically on the topic of spiritual disciplines, people can get kind of like proud and yeah. uh, like certain spiritual disciplines make you feel good. You know, when you, yeah. when you read your Bible every day for five years or you, you know, yeah. you always tithe, you tithe every time. Some of those like make you feel good. So it's interesting that you're saying, obviously don't ignore the ones that, you know, are important. Oh, and absolutely. Most people do. Yes. Right. Yeah. But also there are like getting uncomfortable uh, is important too. Um, and I like how that kind of reveals the relational nature of pastoring that you're pointing out. Like it's not about what you can do for other people. It's how you can be with other people. Um, yeah. I think that definitely stands out. Um, That's exactly right. So um, I, I want to talk, we talked about like the pastoring and teaching. How did that differ mm -hmm. from the actual church planting, moving into more of the like logistics and that kind of thing? Yeah. Church planting is, is like a whole new deal. Like, and yeah. in some ways, <laughs> I I learned it retro, in, retroactively. Like, I worked on staff at this really large church in Las Vegas. I felt called the plant, but I knew I needed to be at a church that was planting. And so we moved to Portland, Oregon, and I was a part of a church there that was all about church planting. And they took me through what they called their embedded church planting program. And then they kind mm. of sent us along with along with the Orchard Group. Um, that was when I met your dad to Salt Lake City. And um, in a way, I learned how to be a lead pastor as a church planter, which I think is normal for most church planters. But what was easy for me in church planting, and even I can see now is like, I love the challenge. I love figuring out hard questions. Um, I love like setting the goal and working towards the goal. What's again, tough in that moment is all of a sudden people start coming along and you're not just an entrepreneur, you're a pastor. You're not yeah. just <laughs> striving towards a goal. You're trying to cultivate and shape and mold a community. And so that is where, um, that is where it gets tricky because as much as you have that deadline and you want to meet that goal, there's also these people to be cared about and life doesn't always allow you to do exactly what you would want to do in that. And in a lot of ways, that's how I, I mean, for 10 years in Salt Lake, that's just what I knew. Because as much as we, I mean, we, we grew and became a stable church and, you know, bought a building, and, you know, like had a larger staff and all that. But you're still, I think most church planners will say this, for a long time, you're still in church plant mode. And then especially in Utah, where like in Utah, like most churches don't survive over three years that, that are planted. Yeah. And, um, and so you're always thinking, man, I'm one, I'm like two Sundays away from shutting the doors. <laughs> At least that's what's in the yeah. back of your mind. And then I moved and pastored a church in Huntington beach. That was not, that was an established church. And all of a sudden I sat back and went, Oh, okay. This is different. Like, it's almost like there's, there's, a, there's a business book and I wish I could remember the name of it. Um, that I read, it talks about like the different mindsets. There's, there's like the hunter mindset and the farmer mindset. The hunter goes out and he's got to get his, he's got to get his food every day. Like where the farmer is like cultivating and tending and like there, there's already this big established plot of land. Um, and yes, like things can go wrong with either of them. I'm mean, not trying to say one's easier, or one's better or worse. Um, but what I realized is, man, that church planting mindset it's a, it's a hunter's mindset. And often mm. like in the other role, I was like, I loved like part of it, but it also felt like part of who I was was sitting on the bench. And, uh, okay. and that was, that was interesting for me. It's like, you know, you're a, you're a point guard that can do, that can shoot, but they just want you to shoot. 
you don't actually get a lead. Right. You don't get it, you know? Um, yeah. Sorry for the sports metaphors, but you know, no, it's, no, it's uh, good. <laughs> that's what I'm trying. It just felt like part of me was sitting on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and interesting that it seems like that's been kind of an ongoing, like internal battle for you. It's like the side of you that is, you know, like you said, the kind of entrepreneur side, which like, yeah honestly is pretty well suited for a church plant. You're cause you're like, okay, I know I can get this stuff done and do all this. Um, but then it, it, when you turn that on, it actually makes the like pastoring people side of things harder. Um, yep. yeah, I, I find that interesting. Um, so I do, I want to talk a little bit about your like actual teaching style, your, um, yeah. like, you're writing your sermons and that kind of thing. Um, I remember actually um, when I first, I think the first time I ever heard you teach, I was like, it was, it was actually an unusual style to me because I had grown up with a lot of, um, a lot of pastors who would weave, scripture into the story of the sermon. And I felt like when I heard you speak, um, it was more about here's the scripture. What can we pull out of it? Um, and yeah. so it wasn't actually as thematically, um, driven. It was more about what, what, how can we work with the text? Um, so yeah. that's probably an oversimplification. Um, but, uh, talk to me about how you kind of came to that teaching style, um, and what that, writing process is like yeah well i i first started preaching at that church in las vegas and um it wasn't on a sunday but we would do a wednesday night service and that was a way they trained pastors up and all that and i did not have a lot of outside of like my seminary i didn't have a lot of training in it and so um the church had this amazing communicator that was leading it and so when i listen back to those sermons now i feel like i sound like him like I not not okay. not as good, not as polished, not as like, but like just the way I frame it up and all that kind of stuff. Like right. it, it sounds because that's just what I knew. Um, then I went to the church in Portland, in very different style church, like um, more a little more reformed, like super. Like Portland is just like heady, like everybody wants to have a conversation about things, yeah. you know. <laughs> like um, I feel like if you if you have a master's degree, like that's like the low, you know, like everybody's like right. bringing in their resume. <laughs> so, so anyway, the first time I, I remember preaching there, um, lead pastor who had his PhD in, um, in preaching from Gordon Conwell under Haddon Robinson, which is, if you're geeking out, that's a big deal. But, um, okay. <laughs> uh, so he, he finishes, he, I, I finished preaching the message and I thought like, I thought I killed it. Like, I just thought like this was a good match. And so the next Monday we go into his office, he's a lead pastor and he's like, Hey, so now, you know, like, let's listen. And, um, what I found out is that a lot of people on staff, like they would get their shot to preach there. And then it was more than half didn't ever get a shot. again. And so wow. we're sitting down and he starts to with his, he has his MacBook open and he's playing the sermon off the podcast. And he would play it and he would pause it and then he would talk. And we went through the whole thing that way. Oh boy. And, um, and then at the end he goes, I want to tell you, like, if you are the truth, like you, Kyle, like your stories, your story is the truth that transforms lives. This was a fantastic message. <laughs> and he's, he's basically <laughs> saying like, you gave us a great message, but it wasn't, it wasn't rooted in the text. Like you mm. had scripture there, but you, what you were landing on was your experience. And at the end yeah. of the day, that can highlight the text, but it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be over the text. Right. And so I said, all right, then teach me. And so then he would take me through all of the ways that he would prepare a message. And he and I are very different communicators. It took me a while then to not try to sound like him. I was felt right. like the first two years of my, of the church plant. Um, right. Because he is really uh, heady and he is like one of, he's brilliant at like artistically explaining like complex theology. 
where I right. like, I'm, I love story. And so I felt like I was in this weird um, kind of spot, but he helped me, I think, take the text and teach it um, versus take a theme and put it into the text. And that sounds negative. I don't think a lot of, I, most people who kind of come at it thematically, they're not doing anything improper. Right. Uh, it right. just is a different way of approaching it. Yes. So. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to, you know, say one is better than the other, but yeah. it stood out to me initially just because it was different. Um, yeah. So as somebody who likes story and also somebody who, uh, you know, is really trying to focus on uh, scripture and pulling from the text, how do you... Um, use like creative thinking to weave those two together when you're like writing a, a sermon and what does your kind of process of writing a sermon look like? How do you brainstorm with others? Do you sit down by yourself? Um, what are the ingredients that go into that? Um, I'll start with a prep. Most of the time, like I'm doing it by myself. I talk about theology and ideas and concepts with people all the time. And so it's not like I'm, I'm not just like in my, in the vacuum, but, but I will come upon a text and usually I'll just go at it myself. I have my specific um, commentaries that I'll pull from, and that kind of depends on which book it is. I'll have my, uh, I'll read over the text a bunch, like a few weeks before I want to write it. So if I'm, if I'm working, I like to be two to three weeks out. Like I can't, I'm not one of the, I don't, I feel disconnected to write my sermon six months out. Some guys are great yeah. at that. <laughs> man, I wish. Um, but if I'm like two weeks out, it feels like I'm in a sweet spot of staying connected to the people and connected to the text. That's just subjective. But, um, and then I will usually listen all nowadays, you know, I'll try to find even a couple of different, um, uh, pastors and, and listen to the way they've preached the text. And, and most of the time it's about, it's on a, they, they have something completely different in mind for their people, but I love hearing the way they kind of have, have dug yeah. into the text. Do you, um, and then, do you yeah, think that that, um, the ability to listen to other people, has that changed in like the last, I mean, I assume it has changed in the last 20 years. Do you feel like that's a, a significant change of like being able to pick up on what other people are saying about the same thing, basically in real time? Oh, I think it's huge. Yeah, I think okay. it's huge. Like, uh, I think before you would have, you know, you'd have Spurgeon's or you'd have Jonathan Edwards or you'd have like, you know, famous Christian dudes who are dead that you could go and read their sermons, which I'm not saying right. it's a bad thing. I actually do that. But, uh, of course, but to yeah. be able to hear the way others have navigated, especially things that might be like culturally, um, intense or, you know, uh, tension, like, like where tension is high around it. Um, it is, it feels like a support. It feels like the church indirectly building up the church is what I feel like. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I was just curious about that, but, um, but yeah, you can, you can go back to kind of um, what the process is like. So you're saying you're like two, yeah. usually about two weeks out listening to yep. other people. Yeah. Yep. Reading the commentaries and then about, so after about, so between two, about two weeks out, that's when I start to sit down and write. And how I first do that is I block out the text. So I take the text that I'm preaching and I block it out into what is the text what is the main idea that I believe the text is saying in each of these kind of movements? Um, right. And I will ask, what is it telling? What do I think it's saying back then? Like if you're in the book of John, what was John trying yeah. to say to the disciples right then? What is it saying universally? So what did it say to John's disciples then? And what did, what it, did say it say to, what did it say to us? And what did it say and, to, um, to say to us? And, um, and then what... Sorry, I'm echoing a little bit. What? Is that Sorry, me? No, that me? yeah, no, it's my it's my end. So actually, okay, no worries. this is fine. I'm just going to stop the recording really quick, and then we'll hop right back on. So keep your thought there.
Right. Sorry. We had some technical difficulties, but you were saying that uh, first you yeah. look at the, so for example, the book of John, you look at what John is saying to the people uh, at the time it was written, and mm -hmm. then you start to think about how it can relate to now, correct? Yeah. I say, what does he say to them when it's written? What does it say that's universal? So oh, a thousand right. years ago, 500 right. years ago, right now. And, and then what is he actually saying that might speak to us right now? Uh, right. And then begin to, man, pray through that, like uh, write out ideas on that and then go from there. The, the funny part was when I had started preaching in Las Vegas, the way that, that it was done there was manuscript. And then when I went to the church in Portland, when I was kind of mentored through it, he wouldn't let me manuscript. Like it was all outline. And so um, I'll write out like, I'll write out like stories I want to narrate or topics or ideas for prep. But then when I'm all done, it's just a outline that when I first started preaching was two pages long. And now is maybe a half or a third of a page. I think uh -huh. just because your mind starts to, figure out what you want to say and how you want to say it. Right. Okay. And then, so you mentioned like, uh, you know, praying through it. And then I want to tie mm -hmm. in like your storytelling as well. So how are you discerning yeah. like what stories to tell, what to leave out? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, I think that's the uh, biggest way I've grown in the last, I would say through since COVID. Like COVID was brilliant in giving you a video that you had to watch of yourself every week. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I give some credit to um, your dad. Like he told me a long time ago, like the best preachers are the best editors. Like they throw out the most stuff mm. and it feels painful because you think it's good, but the best yeah. preachers are the best editors. And I'll be honest. I don't think I, I, I don't think I did that for the first 10 years of preaching. I'm a storyteller and I like to tell. So I was like, well, let's just do another. Um, yeah. <laughs> but now, now I want it to, I, I, I kind of put it through a litmus test for me of like, is it really speaking to the point? Not just, is it going to get a laugh? Not just, is it going to like connect me to the, to the um, audience? I'm not saying it's bad to do those things necessarily when you're looking for rapport, but I want to know that it's going to drive home a point that if they remember that story later, it's also going to connect to something that is coming from the text. And right. so once I go through the points, it's, it's crazy. I know it's, it's hard from, but, but man, ideas just start flowing. Like I don't, I thank God that I don't have writer's block. I have like, I have an, I have to edit, like right. I have too many ideas. Right. And so, um, and, and I think, again, COVID was a blessing in teaching me, like, because a few times I'm sitting on Sunday, I've recorded it on Thursday, and I'm watching the message, and I'm like, Ugh. and I mean, <laughs> my wife is off, and she's on, and she's like, why did you tell that story? I'm like, yeah, is this yeah. what you're thinking sometimes? You know? <laughs> and so, uh, and so figuring that out, how to edit that is is big deal. Yeah, um, that that makes a lot of sense. I was just talking with Brandon Watts this morning and he was oh, yeah? he was also sharing like sometimes the constraint is what ends up leading to the most like creative um you know it forces you to be creative about how you use your story and so you know when you're like okay you only get to tell one story it actually um you know you have to do the the joke the like rapport building and drive the home, the message home all in one story. It actually forces yes. you to kind of get better at your craft. Um, Very true. So that's, that's consistent with um, kind of what, what I was hearing earlier today. Um, yeah. So now I'm going to, we're kind of going to leave uh, church world for a, a yeah. little bit. Um, although it's, you know, not entirely unrelated. Um. Talk to me about your love of the outdoors and the role that that's played in your life. Oh man. I mean, I, that's what I grew up in was, was the, were the mountains. I grew up in small Utah towns that were connected to the mountains and connected to rivers. And so I remember as, I mean, we camped nonstop. Um, my grandparents had a boat, so we were always on the lake. Uh, 
And then when I got a little older, like around 10 or 11, I loved to fly fish. And my grandfather and I would go fly fishing all the time, but it wasn't enough for me in the summers because he had to work. And so I would ask my mom, she, she worked up a canyon and I would, I said to her, Hey, can you, can you take me up the canyon when you go to work? This is at six thirty in the morning and I'll fly fish all day. And then I'll go out to the <laughs> highway when you're done and you pick me up. And at first she wasn't too cool with that idea, but she ended up doing that. And I just, um, I think it just began to cement a love for me of just like nature of the river of, of water of mountains um and of, of of independence i think like i would mm. cook my lunch i would catch a fish and i would cook the fish on the side side of the stream and you know yeah. like it just felt like okay i can do this like i'm growing up and then that just has never stopped i mean utah has five national parks and, right. and so it's always in your face like in the best way we were always at one of them or at lake powell or in the uinta mountains um and then i in college I'll be honest, I think in a way I took it for granted like it was always going to be around me. Yeah. And then I went to college at UNLV and I loved college, but um but I missed like the mountains that I grew up in. And so in the summers I would fight fire and uh wildland fire and I got to be back in those mountains again. Yeah. And I remember that was the first time I was like, "Oh, I think I like this more than I realized." <laughs> like I uh, think this yeah. is this is doing something for me more than I, cause you just, when you're a kid in a way, I mean, at least me, I, I, I think I kind of took it for granted. And yeah. so, and so then I, I, as we got married, like we were always on the go, like always in nature somehow. Um, and then to live in Portland, Oregon, like it's just amazing the, the nature that's available to you, Utah. Yeah. Um, and so when, I come to faith and I go out in, in nature, um, man, it's just the Psalms come alive. Like mm -hmm. the reality of creation is just, it's, it's the best sermon you could ever receive. Like, and so yeah. I don't know many of your listeners know where Ojai is, but it's just unbelievable. Like I did a run this morning and to see the sun come up and the mountains and, um, the animals. And it's just, uh, for me, it just does something for my soul that uh yeah. that nothing else does the ocean yeah all of it do you feel like you mentioned earlier kind of like the spiritual discipline of solitude um mm -hmm. do you think that those two go hand in hand absolutely i i think that for me it's helped me it, it it's it was the um i don't know what's the right way to say it it was kind of the gateway into me being comfortable with solitude I would say mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to hike. This is in Las Vegas. I'm going to go hike Red Rocks and, um, and I'm going to be alone for eight hours and I'm not going to take, there's nothing in my head, no, no headphones, no yeah. nothing. And, um, that scared the life out of me. I know that sounds mm -hmm. crazy, but to like, just be alone, uh, in that way with God, but to know I was going to hike like this amazing Canyon was, I think helped like ease me into it. Um, yeah. And, and then I just, like I said, that was, that was the time I remember the first time I did it, by the time I got to 12 o'clock, I remember just, just be honest, just starting to cry. Like, wow, mm. this is pretty amazing. How, mm. how God is kind of speaking through creation to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I remember, uh, one of the, so, right after COVID had just hit basically. And I was here in Ventura, um, working construction and like, you know, basically have nothing to do because you can't go anywhere. Um, yeah. I, I went over to the store that I'm actually working at now. It's like a gear store, um, mm -hmm. and bought a full backpack, you know, set up and got the, the bag, the tent, the sleeping bag, the sleeping pad, you know, all the gear and then went up to, uh, Topa Topa, like Seesaw road. Yeah. Um, yeah. And did just a solo one night backpacking trip. Um, and I, I ended up doing that twice uh, over COVID and those nights where I was just sitting in my tent alone, 
read, I was reading uh, Augustine's Confessions. And yeah. that was like, I've never, I don't know if I've ever experienced, uh, you know, been been that present with God uh, in any other yeah. at any other point in my life. It's um, so you're kind of talking about the solitude and being out in nature definitely reminded me of like the times I've been out um, and kind of experienced that as well. Um, yeah. When, when I started I, my sabbatical, I did a seven day um, solitude camping trip on Smithsonian mm -hmm. Butte in Utah, which is right near Zion. And man, right. it was the same thing. Like it was just mind blowing to me. Yeah. Yeah. And seven days is, uh, yeah. What, what does that, like, what does that feel like kind of as you go through the days, what are the different emotions that you feel? Yeah. Well, I had a spiritual director who was like, if you want to get the most out of this sabbatical, like you've got to jumpstart it with a seven day solitude because uh -huh. otherwise it's going to take you two weeks or three weeks just to un like deprogram out of your normal rhythms. And, right. and so the first day it was just like kind of fit into my grid, like setting up camp, uh, figuring out where I want to hike when I, like I, there's things to do. And the right. second day it's like, okay. Yeah. Like, and then the second day it felt like when I do a solitude day, I feel like the first two hours are always the hardest. Um, the second day felt like that, like the longest and the right. hardest, like, but by the third or the fourth day, it just felt like I was back in that, just being in God's presence. Like I, mm. I wish I was a better poet or something to put into words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just felt like his kid. I felt at peace. I felt like, uh, um, I felt like I could talk to him. I felt like it was just, it was just easy in a way. Right. Uh, I'll be honest, by the seventh day, I'm not going to lie, I was ready to go back. Like I missed people and I missed like yeah. connection, but it was, it was, it, I, it marked me like that solitude camping trip, that sabbatical changed me as a person. Right. Yeah. How, so I think that that type of experience is becoming an, a decreasingly common experience. Um, I think people, especially like when I look at my friends and people my age, they're, you know, less, they're more connected, but it means that, you know, you're, you don't get that time. Um, what do you think the effects of that are? And, and maybe do you see that um, as you're kind of, as you've been in different churches, do you see the effects of like not getting that solitude time? Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, absolutely. I think that there's, um, it's connection, but it's also isolation. Right. Like, it, like they're, you're isolated in your own brain every day. Like what, what are, you know, what's, what's being posted here? What information do I need to find there? Like, and, and you're constantly in this like low grade frenzy that I think right. stirs up the anxiety that everybody is talking about. Um, right. And you never get that chance to break free and like step outside and realize, oh, wow, there's something so much bigger going on. Like in the best way, there's something so much bigger going on outside of this, this, this bubble that I live in. And right. so you don't, you don't learn, here's what I would say. You don't learn both independence and in stepping out and knowing you can do something like that. And you also don't learn dependence on like, yeah, this is a lot bigger than me. Like, I'm going to die, like, in not very long. I know I'm not trying to be a downer, but in not very long, right. there's not going to be very many people who remember my name. And that's yeah. okay. Like, yeah. like, God is who we have hope in, not me. Not me keeping yeah. it all together. Um, not what people think about me or say about me. Not how much information I can consume. Uh, yeah. Does that make sense? Like it I does. And it's good. I, I'm a sucker okay. for the, you know, tensions or, or near paradoxes. So when you're saying like, somehow it, it removes both independence and dependence. I'm, I, yeah, that resonates. And I also think, yeah. um, part of what, part of what you're saying is when you expand your scope and your vision, to be bigger, 
through the tool like social media and the just online tools it actually makes your world smaller yeah but then when you go on this solitude trip and you make your world world smaller it actually expands your vision to see you know the grand and biggest story um so i think the way that those that kind of flips um is is really cool um yep yeah so thank you that honestly was helpful just for me to like think through what's helpful about you know nature and um solitude for me as well um yeah we're coming to a a close here um so i want to ask you one one last question um how has being a husband and a father impacted your relationship with god oh man i need a (laughs) lot of hours for that yeah yeah. Um, i grew up my my the family i grew up in my parents divorced when i was nine my dad remarried and my mom remarried i lived with my dad um and so i also didn't have an understanding of of a biblical understanding of marriage. And so when I stepped into marriage with joy, uh, if I'm just being honest, I think if you would have, you know, I think I would have said, yeah, I'm sure at some point it will end. Even though I was a Christian, even though I was like, my mind knew broken marriages. Like Mm -hmm. I could point to almost every one of my close friends growing up, they were from a divorced home. And so I just thought at some point it'll run its course and, and we'll be done. Yeah. Um, I, I, my subconscious would have said that. I, I of course, would right, have right. said that out loud, but my subconscious right. would have said that. Um, and, uh, and so what marriage has taught me about God is, is fidelity, like his fidelity to us, his continual pursuit of us. Like as, as I've seen, like my wife be so unbelievably loyal in the midst of sometimes my ridiculousness or my sin (laughs) or my shortcomings. Um, And then I hope I've been the same, like to her. uh, I've seen now 22 years later, something come out of it that I could have never imagined. Um, It's, it's still hard. It's still a challenge. Like, it's not like you get to year 20 and it's like, Oh, okay. We coast from here. Um, but it's still beautiful too. Like, I feel like if you submit to it, it literally is a calling for your whole life. And so, uh, the number one thing I would look, feel like is going back to going back to your comment about my roommate in college, like the, that's the fidelity of God to me, him putting, putting him in my life, like to have those conversations. Um, and I feel like in marriage, like there'll be those big moments where absolutely you have to be there. I mean, we've, we've weathered some really gnarly tragedy and trauma in our families and stuff like that. But there's also those little things that you don't think like, oh, that's a really big deal when she says that, or if I do yeah. this. And it's often you don't want it, you know, it's like, oh, it's not going to make a difference, but it does. It makes a huge difference. And I think right. all of that is a reflection of the fidelity of God. Mm. Um, being a dad is, uh, is it's pretty amazing to see, to, to see that God lets us in on raising humans. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like I, I, I am blown away by that. Like from the moment, um, we had our ch- our boys at home and we had our first boy Isaiah at home and it was the middle of winter in Salt Lake city, it's snowing outside. And, you know, Joy gives birth and they, they, they get him all, you know, fixed up and her all fixed up. And they made us an omelet, I remember. And I remember, like, we were <laughs> eating the omelet and they're like, all right, guys, we're going to go now. And I was like, I don't think this is legal. Like, Wait. like, you can't just leave. <laughs> like, what about this guy? Um, and in some ways, that has never, ever changed. Like, mm. the awe of knowing, like, I'm... I'm getting to participate in shaping and loving and serving these two humans for me is um, it's, it's super humbling and it's pretty remarkable. Uh, It does not mean I don't, I have my days where I'm not, you know, I can have a bad temper. I can say the wrong thing, but I I feel like um, 
it shows me again, God's patience with me, God's goodness with me, uh, how I think he wants to be this specific father to us. Like one of the things mm. you see as a parent is, I mean, before I was a parent, dude, if somebody threw up, I would like, that was the most disgusting thing to me in the world. <laughs> and now like I've been thrown up on, I've had like, you know, all kinds. And it's like, yeah, that's my boy. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be there for my boy. And yeah. it, 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 I think it's all a glimpse of, of just how, I mean, God is holy and transcendent and, and just, our minds can't even fathom how big he is, but I also don't think we can fathom how specific and and mm. like uh, just attentive he is to each one of us. Yeah. Like I and and I think you, I learned that as a I've learned that so much as a dad. Yeah. 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 That's good. Well, um, Kyle, I'll let you go. That's been like an hour, so lots cool, of good man. stuff. Um, yeah. thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, a couple of the like through lines that I saw were like yeah. the, the good faith conversation. Like, it seems like that's a really, yeah. you know, all throughout the story, there's good faith conversation that kind of pointed you in the right direction. Um, and I think yeah. that shows the fidelity that you're talking about, right? The faithfulness mm. over time. Um, yeah. and then also just that idea of like, the difficulty of, of solitude, but the good that that brings as well. Those both really stood out to me. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Grateful for your time. Um, and thanks for sharing yeah. some, some cool stories. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. All right. I'm going to stop the recording and okay. you can.